This Dharma Talk was presented at the Austin Zen Center in Austin, Texas. For more information, visit austinzencenter.org. Well, as we, uh, as people start coming back from their post Zazen break or post whatever it was you were doing, <laughs> I just wanted to take this opportunity to give a very loving welcome and gratitude to Leah for returning to Austin Zen Center to speak on and to teach on the uh, both the topic and the practice of self-compassion, which as many of you know, I have advocated for and I myself need training in. <laughs> and I'm planning to do the workshop this afternoon as well. Leah has been a Zen practitioner for upwards of 20 years. We practiced together at Tassajara back in 2006. I think is the first time I met you. Yeah, so mm -hmm. been a long time. Mm -hmm. and, and has been trained in uh, mindful self-compassion with um, our own local Kristen Neff here in Austin, as well as many others, and um, has made it her career path to bring the practices of self-compassion out into the wider world through her therapy and through coming to Zen centers like ours and others like San Antonio. Thank you again, Marco, and good morning, everyone. Um, it's really, really wonderful to, to be here with you all. I feel really moved right now, which is surprising to me, but it's just, it's really lovely. And I'm grateful and have always felt a real connection with, with the AZC Sangha, so thank you. And it's true, I will be talking about self-compassion today and, and um, and teaching about it later this afternoon. And I think uh, in many ways, the gateway for that today is uh, around uncertainty and, and navigating uncertainty, which um, we are all uh, steeped in right now in a way that maybe we haven't been before. And then meeting, um, meeting this way, Virtually, there's another element of the unknown. You know, normally uh, we would all be in the same place and at the same time, in the same time zone, and there'd be a space, there'd be a kind of container for for this time together, and that physical space would be the container, and there would be unknowns, but. Um, maybe fewer variables in a way. And um, now today we have a, a virtual container, an invisible container, uh, but a, a very real container too, uh, even though we're not in the same place. And I'm aware of you know, the collective unknowns and then the um, just the very everyday unknowns right now and the very everyday unknowns of, uh, of being, being on Zoom together. And when I was preparing for this talk, I thought about how can I, how can I limit and manage some of those variables? And there's some that uh, I have no idea. You know, it could be that the, uh, the internet will cut out in, in the middle of my talk. 
Uh, could be that the neighbors will decide they want to do some light construction. Could be that the neighbors on the other side, their dog will bark at the squirrel that runs across the other's neighbor's roof, which I've come to learn happens about 20 times a day. So um, any of that, any of that might happen. I might lose track of what I intend to say. I think um, kind of the main question in a way for me is, can I be, will I be a good guest? Will I be a good guest here with, with all of you? And when I was thinking about that, I was also thinking, well, uh, really, right now, who's the guest? Because in a sense, you're all guests in my home right now, which is very unusual. That's not, that's not usually how it would be. And by far, this is the greatest number of people I've had um, as guests in my home in a long time. And then at the same time, I'm also a guest in your home. I'm there right, right with you, too. So I can't really say what I am, um, but I think it's, I want to be a good guest and I want to be a good host. And it, it also seems to me that that's uh, sort of the request of this time that we're living in, this time of, of unknowns. So being um, both givers and receivers, uh, recognizing that we have something to offer and that we have something to learn that, that all of us do. You know, recognizing that there are uh, ways that we know, things that we know, and plenty of things that, um, that we don't know. So not knowing is this in a continuous, consciously shared experience right now. We're always in the unknown. Um, and there's something uh, very potent about the, the way that we're in the unknown right now. And I think for most of us, uh, at least part of the time, it's very uncomfortable. It's very uncomfortable to not know. And there are a lot of reasons why a person might feel unno uh, uncomfortable right now. So there are people who are struggling because they're ill or they have loved ones who are ill. There are people who want to work but can't. There are people who uh, need to work and maybe are afraid of, of what might happen if they go into work. There are people who have lost loved ones. There are people facing wildfire, people who have lost their homes to wildfires. Um, and maybe some of you are struggling in one of these ways or, um, or you know someone who's struggling in one of these ways or more than one of these ways. And if that's true, I just want to say that I, I see you and we see you and that pain is real and held here in this inv invisible container that, that we create together uh, right now in this moment. And then there's, there's a way too that this struggle 
with this relentless uncertainty, many of us aren't, aren't used to that in this way. And mainstream culture tells us that um, we can know anything and we can do anything and we just need to try, try harder or uh, hustle, uh, apply ourselves. And I was thinking about this and uh, remembering that on my first day of school ever, my first day of kindergarten, I got this uh, sweatshirt. We all got these sweatshirts, um, navy blue with yellow lettering and school insignia. And across the top, it said, knowledge is power. And I grew up believing this, uh, knowledge is power. And I still do believe it. It, it, is, it is powerful. Uh, knowing is powerful. But um, if this is what we learned growing up, that knowledge is power, then how do we feel when we're faced with uncertainty or we're in a time when uh, we can't know? So on, on top of all of the things that are painful about this time, there may also be a way that we pile on some extra pain, you know, believing that uh, we should know how to navigate this. We should know what to do. We shouldn't feel so thrown off. Beliefs like that, that come from that place that we're supposed to know. And for quite a long time, I thought that if knowledge is power, then not knowing was powerlessness. And I wonder if a lot of us maybe grew up drawing that kind of conclusion. So I thought I would tell you all about my experience of not knowing and how it has shifted over time and how it is uh, directly related to the practice of self-compassion. So for a long time, uh, decades really, I believed that not knowing was not just powerlessness, but that it was shameful, that it was normal to know, and that it was not normal to not have answers. And when I was 10, I learned that my biological father was an anonymous donor, a medical student, and no one I knew had ever met him or had any way of knowing who he was. And that was uh, a shock to me. And at the time, I didn't know anyone else in a similar predicament. And with this idea that knowledge is power, um, and I didn't have that knowledge, I felt very alone and, and ashamed. And the greatest shame was in the not knowing uh, for me. The shame of uh, walking around every moment of every day with um, an invisible open question. 
an unanswered and unanswerable question that no one else could see. And I felt profoundly different from everyone I knew. And of course I know now that um, there are all kinds of ways that people can, can process information and all kinds of reasons that people might be walking around with unanswered questions. Um, but for a long time, I didn't know any. No one was telling me that they, they had unanswered questions. Everyone seemed to act as if they, they knew what they were doing, more or less. Um, and so not knowing really seemed like something that I was alone in and alone with. And that created a sense of um, separation, a deep sense of separation between me and, and, and other people. The, all the ones who, who knew things and, and um, me the one that didn't know. And that continued for a long time, uh, even after I discovered uh, Zen practice. And um, when I visited Tassajara uh, during work period one spring, I shared a table at lunch with uh, Greg Fain, who was a priest there at the time. And we got to talking and um, I told him how I'd been sitting uh, Zazen by myself, how I had read Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind and just started sitting by myself, which is a true story. And um, also that I'd never sat with anybody else, with other people, and um, that most of that was because I felt like I didn't know the forms and I didn't want to disrespect the practice. And um, I thought the Zendo was for the real Buddhists and that I wasn't one of those. And um, that the real Buddhists were the ones who knew what they were doing. I think I actually said that um, to him. And um, he obviously laughed when I said that and said, oh, well, you know, if that's what it is, don't let that stop you because none of us know what we're doing. And um, there's another uh, shock for me um, at the time. And I thought, okay, um, that's not what I expected um, to hear. Um, Maybe it's okay to not know. Um, maybe that's not the, the worst thing. Maybe there's not any shame in not knowing. And um, so that day, uh, later that day, there was an evening, uh, evening zazen, and I sat with other people for the first time, and um, you know, everything, everything turned out okay. Um, the world kept spinning on its axis and everything. So um, there was a counterpoint. Uh, knowledge is power, and uh, none of us know what we're doing. Um, those things, those things can can both be true. Um, and then, not long after that, uh, I heard uh, one of the um, most well-known Zen teaching stories, and I have a sense that it's one that's been told a lot in the last five months. Um, but it's the one where um, Fayan is a monk who's uh, stuck in a snowstorm with some of his pals, and they seek refuge at um, Dijon's monastery. 
and Dijon asks Fayan, uh, where are you going? And Fayan says, around on pilgrimage. And Dijon says, what is the purpose of pilgrimage? And Fayan says, I don't know. And Dijon says, not knowing is most intimate. And it's said that at that, uh, Fayan experienced enlightenment um, with, that, with that one phrase. So not knowing is most intimate. And when I first heard that, uh, I felt uh, what for me was the, the deep compassion of Zen, the deep compassion of that teaching and a compassion that had been really hard to find within myself. And that was a great comfort, a comfort that was also not comfortable because while it's most intimate, uh, not knowing is usually not something we seek out. We don't like it. So we have these three, these three things. Knowledge is power. None of us know what we're doing. And not knowing is most intimate. And uh, it's all true, um, the knowing and the not knowing. I was thinking about it, you know, preparing this talk and thinking about how maybe, um, you know, the it's like the, the breath, like we need both, both sides of the breath. We can't just have inhales and we can't just have exhales. And how the knowing is like inhaling and the not knowing is like exhaling. And I thought about that, you know, knowledge is power, inhale. None of us know what we're doing, exhale. Knowledge is power, inhale. Not knowing is most intimate, exhale. And I thought maybe we could do a couple of those breaths together. And we could breathe in together, not knowledge is power. And breathe out together, none of us know what we're doing. And we could breathe in together, knowledge is power. And we could breathe out together, not knowing is most intimate. So it turns out that we need both. That life Needs both is both knowing and not knowing. And now this thing, this um, not knowing that I used to think made me so different and alien to everyone else, 
I can now see that um, genuinely as a gift. You know, this predicament uh, took me to what I've discovered is the heart of what it is to be human, to not know. And it took me there when I was quite young and I got to know a lot about what it's like to live with relentless uncertainty, with questions that don't have answers. I got to grow up with that and it was hard. Sometimes it seemed impossible to bear, but as much as I thought it was taking from me or had taken from me, um, it's given me so much more than I can even put into words. And for these last um, five or so months, we've all had this direct, conscious, collective experience of not knowing. Just when we think we know, it turns out we don't. And this relentless experience of not knowing. We've had this together. And maybe you've noticed how not knowing can harden you if you let it. If you see it as powerlessness, then you're probably going to feel like a victim of life and a victim of reality, looking for someone to blame. And they only say this and know this because I spent a lot of time feeling that way. And it's also true that if we're able to see not knowing as intimate and deeply human, or even if we're just willing to consider that none of us know what we're doing, um, then this predicament, our predicament, can tenderize us and soften us. It can open us to the way that we're not alone. And that not knowing is not a kind of punishment, even though sometimes it can feel that way, like we deserve to know. Um, and when we can tenderly meet it instead as this uh, heart of being human, then compassion flows. Compassion for ourselves, compassion for others, and compassion that's more than just an idea or words. We can feel it in our bodies when we really recognize that. We can soften in that understanding of just how hard it can be to be human, how hard it can be to not harden, to not look for someone to blame. So, so much of our fear and our frustration and our shame 
come from this belief that we're supposed to know everything, that we should know the right things to say at the right times. We should know how to fix all the things that we see as broken. And the reality is that we're not supposed to know everything. Um, we can't know everything. And it's okay. It's more than okay. You know, when we are willing to not know, we give others a chance to be themselves without our ideas about who they're supposed to be. And you know, we give ourselves a chance to be ourselves without ideas about who we're supposed to be. We really need to not know. And there will always be things that we don't know. We can't eliminate uncertainty. And we can still attend to this moment. Uh, we can recognize that we don't know and we can be curious and we can know what's knowable. Both of those things are possible. So this moment is uh, an invisible container for both the knowing and the not knowing. So in this moment of, of so much uncertainty, we can know uh, the color of the sky. We can know um, the feeling in our heart, the ache in our heart, whatever it might be. We can know that we feel afraid. We can know that we feel grateful. Um, we can know that the air smells like smoke or jasmine or some combination of, of the two. In her book, uh, Heal Thyself, Saki Santarelli writes, mindfulness is an act of hospitality. So mindfulness is an act of hospitality. We can pay attention and notice what do we see? What do we hear, smell, taste, touch, feel? We can find a spirit of, of hospitality in ourselves with the many parts of ourselves and the range of feelings and needs that sometimes don't make sense to us. And we can find a measure of welcome, of hospitality with others, with the parts of them that don't always make sense to us. And In each moment, we're, it's like we're the, the guests of not knowing and the hosts of not knowing at the same time. Um, so we can, we can be good hosts even to not knowing. 
and we can make room for it and for this way that that we really don't know what we're doing and that can tenderize us and remind us that in each uncertain moment um, including this one that we belong that we all belong So knowledge is power. None of us know what we're doing and not knowing is most intimate. I think that sums it up for right now. Thank you. I'm happy to answer any questions or um, hear any, any, any things anyone would care to say. Thank you very much. Welcome. I have maybe a question. Um, are we are we going to do questions before the chant or usually doing Bruce? Yes, we're doing. I, I think we can. I thought that was what we were doing. <laughs> the questions first. <laughs> okay. Um, not. I don't know if this is a very art, clearly articulated question, but I'm thinking about the thing that feels like is coming along with the not knowing um, is particular um, awarenesses about uh, impermanence and change, it, you know, seems like those go together, um, certainly right now. Um, so any thoughts about that? Maybe. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think they are, um, they are directly connected. Um, you know, there are ways that, uh, they're almost, 
they're obviously not exactly the same, but they're very close. Um, I think we're, want, we're always wanting to land somewhere. And, and part of that is wanting to know, you know, where's a, where's a safe place to land? Where's a, a place to land where, um, I'll just speak for myself, where's a safe to land where I won't have to think about it so much? Um, where can I just kind of land and, and, and rest and maybe not have to pay so much attention? Um, but impermanence um, kind of uh, makes itself known over and over again continuously. So, we, you know, if we're going to find a place to, to land, um, we're, we're never going to really uh, know that, that it's, it's uh, going to be there uh, for any particular time at all. So I think there's, there's a tension. Um, you know, we're looking for that in the same way that we're looking for knowing. We're looking for some kind of permanence. And in the same way that... Uh, we're, we're facing the not knowing. We're facing, oh, I thought that was going to keep going that way. Oh, turns out it's not. Um, oh, I thought I knew what was happening. Oh, it turns out that, that I, I didn't. And it, it's, I think we're needing to orient um, just kind of moment by moment to what, what's happening. Like what is, what is kind of um, coming into being maybe like momentarily knowable and then passing out of being no longer knowable. Um, so they're, they're very, uh, very much connected. Does that help? Yeah. Yeah, I think it does. Um, those two things just feel like, I mean, they're just together. It's dominant during this time, you know, yes. Um, whether it's something right here next to me or, or in the bigger world, you know? Yes. Uh, yeah. And it feels like it, um, the, the, these big changes, they, they kind of push out even my definition of knowing, you know, like, I think my knowing is, you know, maybe I want to know, what the virus actually does but then it turns out no there's things i think i know like big Basin state park is still there you know? <laughs> um and 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 it's like oh that was something i thought i knew but i didn't even i wasn't even kind of aware that i thought i knew that yeah until the changes happen so yes. yeah yeah, I think there's so many things that we take as a given that we don't even realize are impermanent or could, could possibly be until, like you're saying, all of a sudden, oh, turns out that's, that's, that's not what I thought it was, not what I thought it was going to be. Not a thing that maybe I thought I had to worry about. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah, thank you. I don't know if I have, this isn't really a question, I guess, but I was just thinking that if we know everything, there are no surprises and no freshness. And 
I was just, I didn't know that there was going to be a thunderstorm this morning and that it was going to rain. And, uh, you know, we've been in pretty severely hot and droughty weather and what a, what a wonderful surprise. And so I'm grateful I didn't know and got to enjoy it even more. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, um, I, I, I teach about self-compassion and, and uncertainty specifically. And one of the things I discovered in, in researching a class I'm teaching is that um, there was a study that found that uh, uncertainty uh, basically amplifies whatever feeling we have by 400%. So if it's a positive feeling, it feels really good. But if it's a, a, a negative one or a painful feeling, then it feels really bad. So <laughs> it's, it's a real... Um, amplifier thank you thank you I was thinking about how with that amplification how quickly we can move to um, defensively moving away from that really strong feeling mm -hmm. either by putting it out there <laughs> or by or, you know, shaming ourselves, you know, the internalization versus externalization and how for some of us, those patterns are so habitual, we don't catch them more by intellectualizing. It's really hard to stay with that intense feeling. It, and, it, it is, yeah. Yeah, yeah and I think um, just speaking more from the therapist part of myself, we, we have to sometimes find ways to titrate intense emotion. We just, um, it is too much to bear. Um, so I, I trust that process in a person too, that um, sometimes it's too much to just <laughs> sit in how intense it is. Um, that there's, um, we're trying to digest as much as we can, and um, sometimes there's just too much, too much on our on our plate. Yeah, there's. I've been noticing that that I, I in myself that reaching a point where it's over some threshold of integration. But at the other times, I've not, I'm trying to block my defensive moving away, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and I'm finding that's very helpful to just yeah. sit with go back to the feeling and not the um, intellectualization or yeah. The <laughs> yeah. I mean if you if you can if, yeah there's always so much information in in the feeling it's giving you so much information if you can bear it yeah I had a question. Hello? Yes. Uh, I can't see you. Let me see if I can make it so I can see the speaker. Here I am. <laughs> have my hands up? I see you. Yes. <laughs> Thank you, Eric. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to say uh, one that uh, I, I, I have a sense that impermanence is something actually I can rely on. Mm -hmm. So if things are bad. You know, I know it's going to get better, and if um, everything's going good, then I know that's not going to last either. 
So I found that helpful. And then also, um, I've also had a sense of something I, I sort of define as beyond knowing. Instead of not knowing or knowing, mm-hmm. because sometimes know, not knowing implies ignorance. Mm-hmm. And in some sense, it can be ignorance. Although in the you know definition of the koan that you describe, it's not. Mm-hmm. And of course, knowing we know, we know certain things that we we feel like we know, or we have faith in, or faith as, like in the Buddhist practice. But the concept of beyond knowing, like beyond thinking, uh, I f- I find helpful for me to. Um, you know, think about knowing in that term. I just want to throw that out. What do you think? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. And, um, and it, it feels like the combination of not knowing and not knowing together is sort of beyond knowing. Um, I think that's, that's a way that I understand what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think too, what you said initially, um, that you have kind of trust in impermanence, that it's something you can rely on, that I think of that, like that, that is the invisible container. Like that's kind of how I think about it, that that is the invisible container that it's all happening in, that we don't, um, it's not gonna last. Uh, so enjoy it or hang on, you know, <laughs> it's, it's gonna change uh, like impermanence, at some point. Impermanence sometimes I think is beauty. Mm-hmm. beauty but anyway thank you so much for your wonderful talk You're welcome eric thank you Chara. <clears throat> yeah thank you um for your talk and um after you asked us to do the short breathing together um, while I was listening to you, I tried doing it the other way and breathing in, you know, intimacy and breathing out knowledge is power. And <clears throat> since I resonate with that knowledge is power and security, that actually helped me to, to try that. So maybe both ways, <laughs> they're not maybe so different, but for me, yeah. letting go of knowledge of this power was really helpful. So thank you. Thank you. I, I, I love that. And um, I think, yeah, it's, it's wonderful to, to just see, you know, what am I, what am I kind of um, taking in as nourishment and what am I letting go of um, and like finding ease in, in letting go of. Thank you. Oh, and I see a comment from Maureen in the chat, and um, thank you. I wondered if you could talk a little bit more about intimacy and unknowing and you know, one aspect of that may be it allows you to know yourself or be open to yourself in a more 
sort of uh, unencumbered way, as well as intimacy with others. Yeah. Um, I think that um, if if we're really in touch with the the, the vulnerability of of not knowing, just as a moment-to-moment -moment reality of being human uh, in, in ourselves. We can feel that intimacy with that another, any other person, even if they're not in touch with it themselves, you know, because there's a way that um, if they are, we can feel that. If they're not, we can feel that and we can know that they're heavily defended against that, you know, and not in like a, a judging them or like an I know more than you but just like how human like this is so hard it's so hard to to really feel how uh, like vulnerable how vulnerable it is to 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 be a human um, so there's that I think that intimacy that that if we're in touch with that in ourselves we can we can be in that place of intimacy with another person even if they might not feel it for us you know we can we can kind of know them as as that human that they are too and then also you know i think when um we all probably have parts of ourselves that we wish weren't there or we don't like or or things we think or do that you know we're not a fan of but if we can let go of the story of what that means about us and recognize that it's happening be curious about it there's there's room to to be more intimate with ourselves without the the story and to wonder huh I want I wonder what that is um, I wonder what's going on there maybe this isn't this part of myself that's that I need to reject or judge or or or, or hide or shame but that there's something really human happening here and so when we can be in that, like Eric said, beyond knowing place with ourselves, then we, we can move in closer to the parts that maybe we, we want to reject or we want to pretend aren't even there uh, some of the time. Hello, Leah. Hi, Melanie. Um, gosh, these are really great comments. Um, I appreciate what everyone is saying because I think it pulls in all so many things, thinking about compassion and impermanence, intimacy, and our response to all of it, unknowing. And I, I think I'm a... Sometimes the nuance escapes me and I just respond bluntly, which I don't think sometimes works well at all, frankly, for me or the people around me. And lately, I've, I, I like the idea of trying to be compassionate toward the impermanence, you know, sort of mixing it up like um, 
Well, Eric talked about that in a way. You know, how you view some some aspect of what we're going through. But um, lately I've tried being affectionate towards people who don't have the response I think they should have <laughs> to what's happening. And affection works so much better than annoyance and and anger or all those sort of irritation, those sorts of things. Um, because it 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 provides uh, more happiness, I guess. Finding happiness during these times is hard. Do you have anything that you are doing in particular? Maybe that's my question. Here I am rambling, but I really would like to ask a question. Thank you. Sure. Um, well, I think that the places where I'm, I, I don't, I, I suppose it's happiness in a way. Um, I'm finding uh, maybe like a sense of well-being in um, just taking care of what I have um, in in the space that I have. So sometimes that has meant repairing certain things, like um, this necklace I have on that has been broken for maybe four years. Um, yesterday, I just realized, oh. I have all of these tools. I can just put a different colored bead in there and fix it and wear it again. And um, and I did that. And and that so fixing what I can't when there's actually something broken, um, fixing fixing it. Um, that brought me great happiness, especially because it's one of those things that had been sitting there for a while, um, sort of semi forgotten. Um, uh, taking care of plants um tending to things that grow um i planted some passion flowers in the back this summer and they're 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 like alien beings and i really have um, they've brought me happiness <laughs> um oh um mindful art making on very small squares of paper um i can show you one so I try to make a little thing like this maybe every day. And it just takes maybe um, 15, 20 minutes and um, simple things, I guess, simple things. Um, and not to block out the things that are hard, but to coexist alongside the things that are hard. That's very nice, very helpful. I think that it's funny how you, be, when we're so busy or had been so busy maybe or busy in different ways now that those things that are neglected suddenly show up stronger that you can do something about. I really yeah. appreciate that. So, yeah. and it's sort of a way to, to, yeah, well, I like that. Thank you. You're welcome. And I just thought this, this piece right here, I made, I made, that was the thing that brought me joy. I learned how to use dye, a kit that someone had given me like five years ago. I took it out and figured out how to use it. And so that, that made me happy. <laughs> That's great. Thank you. Thank you, Molly.
Thank you so much, Leah. I wanted to um, I wanted to ask something that I think you'll you'll talk about more in the workshop, but maybe I'll just plant it the seed here now. But um, self compassion and the ability to turn towards one's own suffering without judgment. I think that that part, the without judgment, or or maybe if you can't do it without judgment, like you have to find some way to let the judgment be there too. Yeah, and. I feel like I've encountered in myself and in, in many, many others um, a resistance to letting go of that judgment because it's it goes along with that knowing is power, right? If you have a judgment, then there's something that you at least can grasp, you know, and, and know something that you know, oh, this is true, even though it's not really. Yeah. But I wondered um, practically, in a practical manner, because you've been, you know, uh, teaching on self-compassion to so many different people, how often you run, maybe not how often you run into to folks who really stubbornly don't give up the, of their self-judgment, but if you have, um, yeah, what it, what it's like to come out on the other side of that in your work with people. Yeah. Well, you know, um, there are folks for whom it's very, very hard for sure. There's um, a, a tremendous amount of resistance. And I think uh, first off, it's so important to respect the resistance and give respect to that part that um, is, is trying to help. I think, like you said, you know, trying to find power um, really, I think usually trying to find safety, trying to find a sense of safety, and that that's part of why it's so hard to let go, because we all want to feel safe. I mean, that's, um, I will talk more about this this afternoon, but that we have these two really primary needs of being loved and feeling safe. And um, that if that safety feels threatened, yeah, that part is not, not going to easily let go. So I think sometimes bringing awareness to that dimension of it can help people have a way to relate to it rather than identify with it and at least start to think about, okay, how is this functioning for me? Um, and not like, oh, this is bad. I need to let go of it or I need to get rid of it. But like, this is a part that's really trying to help and really trying to keep me safe. And um, I can, I can, um, listen to it and be curious about what else might be there. In other words, you don't have to, you can't force yourself to let go of it. Um, but it's more to me, what else might be true alongside of it? You know, we're not going to try to push you away or tell you you're bad or wrong or you need to go, but what else might be true right alongside of it? Um, and then um, more anecdotally, I think I, I may have talked about this at another time when I, I taught, but when I was practicing more directly with my inner critic, I got this um, small statue um, of Manjushri that I put on my altar. And I made this intention with myself that, or I sort of asked Manjushri, will you please mentor my inner critic? <laughs> because I got the sense that my inner critic has great attention to detail, 
Um, and um, I don't want to let go of that necessarily, but I, I want it to be applied in a way that's, that's helpful. And to this day, Manjushri is sitting at right there right now looking at me and um, the same little statue. And I, it's like my mind knows what that means when I see that. It means, you know, the inner critic is being mentored in, in some cosmic way <laughs> because Manjushri's up there with the sword, still cutting through delusion, you know, still wanting the truth. Um, but like the real truth, you, you know, not the story that's masquerading as the truth. Um, so I think respect and, and patience and, uh, not trying to throw it away, you know, not trying to get rid of it. Thank you. That's mm -hmm. fantastic. I love your Manjushri. <laughs> <laughs> it's like giving it over to Manjushri's, you know, uh, compassionate wisdom. Yeah. And there's something about that sword, you know, that to see the sword um, is a potent, a potent image. There's also, there's also a way in which you're letting go of the identification with it at the same time. Mm -hmm. And so you're not struggling as much with the critic. You're just allowing the critic to be. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Thank you all. Thank you all very much for, for being here for, uh, for Leah's talk and hope to see you this afternoon. All right.